Our Old Testament scripture is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses uh, 7 to 15. We begin at verse 7. The Lord this, but by the way, this is uh, God uh, and Moses having this uh, burning bush kind of experience. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the uh, misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of uh, that land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Persians and Hivabites and Jebusites and mosquito bites and all of those other <laughs> bites. And now the cry of the uh, Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this is the, will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, I just need to stop here. The, 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 the old theologian in me says, that's the sign? When you have, the only sign you know that I have sent you is that when you have done it, and you'll leave, and you're going to worship on this mountain. Just be amazed. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, let me just say that was good. That was real good. Well, I tell you, I wrestled with this passage. I played with it. I turned it over. I read it. I reread it. I read it again. I reread it again. And I, I went, Lord, what is this really all about? And then it dawned on me. Jesus is in desperate confrontation with the Pharisees. And I guess inside of me, I just didn't want to read it and understand it because I didn't want Jesus to have to go through that. And uh, he did. He went through it for us. I, I love singing the last couple of songs that we sang. Um, we see now on this side who Jesus is. His love for us. His care for us. But in the day, he was fighting against Satan for us. And it was a mighty battle, a, an earth-shaking kind of battle. So uh, there's a, I'm not going to read uh, the Exodus passage again, but, but just think about it for a moment. God revealed his name to Moses. I am that I am. We kind of go, huh? What does that mean? We're going to talk about it in just a minute. God himself was revealing to mankind who he was. Self-defining. Always listening. Heart open always to his people. That's who God was. And they were discovering a whole new part of God that they, they hadn't heard before. And Jesus comes. And he's in this battle. We've been looking at it. It's been a long haul, and we've still got a long way to go. So uh, just, Ed, just want to say, could you time the uh, PNC to bring a new pastor when I'm finished with the, the Gospel of John? Can, can you? I've got about eight months more yet to go. No, no, not really. But I could take that long if I wanted to. The Jewish tradition, God's name, though, was never actually spoken aloud or even spelled out. Because of all this, we have in the Hebrew text for his name four letters. You've seen it written probably before. Y-H-W-H. -H. And then they took those continents from one word, which meant Lord. And they added then vowels to that from a different word, Adonai, so that Yehovah was the name that the Jewish people wrote for God, his name, because they thought his name was so sacred, so holy that you couldn't say it out loud. So they made sure that we couldn't do that. The problem was they lost what God's real name was. They lost what you're to call God. And so they created this new word, Yehovah, so that that's who we talk to. In fact, the, the 
the scribes felt that this word was so holy that they knew that they were writing the Bible, you know, by pen, and, and they knew that the next day they were going to have to write God's name, Jehovah. So they would go and cleanse themselves, take a ritual bath in the morning, come and write the name Jehovah, then they take the pen that they used and destroyed it and got a new pen because it was that name was so holy. Friends, we've lost that reverence for God. We read the Bible so often and we go, oh yeah, that's really important. That's really uh, important for me to do. And then a day later, we forgot what it was that we said was important for us to do. We've lost the reverence for who God is. And I think God wants that back in his people. In fact, I know that's what God wants in his people. It's why in our society today, the church has been so anemic. Uh, it's why our own denomination is, is, is imploding in many ways, dropping so many members uh, that it's so hard. Churches can't leave anymore, but people are leaving churches, and so the number, we're down under a million members. Hello, when I was around early on and became a Presbyterian and became a pastor, we were over three million. And in the last years, we uh, have lost two million members. Why? Because we've lost the reverence for the name of God, for who God is, for what we as people are supposed to give back to God. Do you know what you're supposed to give to God? Give him your worship. Well, we did that already today. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Ron. We've given him worship today. But he requires more. We're to give him our lives and our hearts and reach out to help his kingdom grow. What a Sunday for me to preach on that with, with time change and, and, and rain and, and coronavirus, all of that stuff uh, scares people from getting into gathering together. Don't be afraid. The name of God, Jehovah, is used some 7,000 times in the Old Testament alone. You can tell that Jehovah is the name for God because it's with a capital L, Lord. Whenever you read that in your Bible, you go, oh, this is Jehovah. I am who I am. It's the name of God. See, the Israelites, they took this so seriously. But what does that mean, name really mean? It means that God can only define himself by using himself. There's no other measurement, no other scale to, to measure God by. He is the scale. Before the birth of Christ, the rabbis and other Jewish scholars taught that uh, one of the signs of the Messiah is that he could pronounce the name of God perfectly. See, by Jesus' time, they'd already lost the name of God. 
and they were using Jehovah. So it was a really big thing, and they were teaching that, you know, when the Messiah comes, he'll be able to give us again the correct name of God. They were very excited and proud of that. And the Bible says that Jesus did this. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham is born, I am. And the Pharisees didn't like it. They knew the tradition that only the Messiah could pronounce the true name of God correctly, and they didn't like the fact that Jesus did that. I want to focus uh, the rest of our time today looking at this passage that we're at, because it, the, what we've been talking about in the name I am uh, applies so much to this passage. The principle here is the law of sowing and reaping. Paul teaches about this principle in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Paul's talking to us. What the principle here is saying is that if you plant a mustard seed, then you're going to get a mustard plant. Conversely, you can't get a cucumber if you're planting beans. You'll harvest whatever you plant. And what's true in the physical realm, when it comes to gardening, is also true in the spiritual realm. And that is what Jesus is showing us in this section of Scripture. If you sow sin in your life, you'll reap sin in your life. By repeating the word if several times in this part of the gospel, Jesus is also teaching about the things that we do or what we don't do that affect our spiritual health and growth. You can spot these spiritual truths in this section of scripture by looking for the word if. Let's take a look at six ifs. I know it's a lot. I hope I get through them in time. For spiritual growth that Jesus teaches us in John chapter 8. There are six choices that we all make that will either help us grow to God or inhibit the moving of the Holy Spirit within our lives and limiting God's ability to bless us and grow us and use us in his kingdom. The first if is discipleship. In the church, we throw around words like disciple and discipleship, being a follower of Jesus. But really, I think that most of us have lost what that actually, that, that what actually being a disciple means. Take a moment and consider the first 12 uh, who followed Jesus, Peter, James, John, and, and the gang. Peter, James, and John all left their fishing nets to follow Jesus. Matthew left a very lucrative business collecting taxes. Andrew was also a businessman who left that all behind. And all of them, with the exception of the Apostle John, died as martyrs because of their belief and their witness and their proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. I read about the testimony of a superintendent of the Assembly of God Church in Vietnam. His name is Paul Lee. Paul Lee has spent the majority of his life in prison 
for preaching the gospel. Many of his days were spent in a four-foot by four-foot box where he would have to be literally crouched over, either on his hands and knees or laying in a ball in order to fit in the box. Even when he was in better parts of the prison, if they're really, you can really call any prison over there good, he was given a light covering for his body that he wore and a small three foot by three foot square blanket. Now, uh, you're thinking in Vietnam, well, it's hot there all the time, so he can get, but it really can get pretty cold at night. And what Paul would do is offer his blanket to another prisoner as long as he could lay near them and he would spend the night telling that person about Jesus. That question that may come to your mind is how much good did that do? God used Paul's obedience to raise up churches of over a thousand people in each of the prisons that he was put into. And God did it with just a piece of blanket and a willingness to be a little uncomfortable and be obedient to the spread of the gospel. In fact, the Assemblies of God in Vietnam, you can't even become licensed or ordained as a minister unless you spent time in prison for the sake of the gospel. Mark that, Ed. They've got to spend time in prison for the sake of the gospel and shown a productive ministry in that prison. That's what being a disciple of Jesus Christ means. Being a disciple means to leave behind the old life, the old ways. Give your life to something greater, to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you're my disciple, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Too many times, uh, many of us want something without doing the thing that is required to get it. If you sow the wrong thing, you should not be surprised when you reap the wrong thing. The second if is freedom. In John 8, 36, it says, So if the Spirit sets you free, you will be free indeed. Thinking of the law of sowing and reaping, most of the problems in our life come from the fact that in some way we're still reaping towards our own flesh or we're reaping consequences of past decisions that were made according to our flesh. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this is the wonderful, amazing thing. He wipes out the spiritual and eternal consequences of our past mistakes, our past sins, our past rebellion, really. However, because we still live in this world, there may be earthly consequences that he allows to continue for us to experience in order to teach us the seriousness of rebellion against God and do, going against his word. But in some cases, Jesus wipes out both earthly and spiritual consequences at the same time. Many of us, I think, could, could testify about different ways that Jesus saved a person from spiritual death and then wiped out earthly consequences for that sin. It's not a guarantee for everybody. God grows us, shapes us, and molds us as individuals and not as a corporate group. 
when it comes to our personal salvation, God is in charge. The Apostle Paul uh, Im implores us in Romans 8.33, for sin shall not have dominion, that's ruling control, over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What I think Paul is saying here is that if you haven't uh, given your life to Jesus Christ, there is no way for sin to have dominion over you unless you let it happen. Every time you open the door to your sinful desires or to the devil, you allow him to wedge that door open. And your spirit is reduced just a little bit. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's why we have to live a life of repentance. This is just not a one-time thing. This is a thing that will occur throughout your entire life, a need for repentance. You remember in the Lord's Prayer, we're to ask God for forgiveness of our daily sin. Living in repentance is the key to freedom because sinful thoughts, desires, and actions constantly bombard us and is unrelenting in our society that we live in. But let me ask you, are you free this morning? If not, let me ask you, are you his disciple? Because if you are, then you are set free if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Well, that brings us to the third uh, if uh, serve and its service. John 8, 39 in our passage says, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. There's a direct link between what we do and the kingdom of God in our spiritual growth. I'm not talking about a works-based uh, salvation. Jesus Christ did all the work to pay for your sin and win you back to God. What I'm talking about is how your spiritual growth is intrinsically tied to the work you do for him on earth. Let me give you an example. I've known people over the years who go and take the required, all the required classes, do all of the clinical hours, and even go and take the national registry test to be a paramedic, and then never actually do the job. If you're to ask them, uh, they would call themselves a paramedic. They'd show you their diplomas and maybe even show you the state patch with their licensing number on it. And then when you ask them to tell you about some of the calls that they've done and lives that they've saved, that's when they usually look at the floor and admit uh, uh, to you that, well, they've never actually saved a life or been a member of a rescue service team or even been on a call as a paramedic. But they still insist on being known as a paramedic. Now I want you to hear this, pay real close attention. That is the same exact situation that occurs when a person claims to be a Christian but does nothing to see the kingdom of God grow, spread, and take root in the lives of others. The Bible has a word for this. It's called hypocrite. One of the languages in the Bible was written in is Greek, and the Greek word for hypocrite literally means an actor performing a role. By definition, an actor is not what they portray, uh, portray on the stage or even in the screen. They're playing a part. 
And when the show is over, they go back to who they really are once they get back in their car and drive home. That's the challenge of the if of service. Are you actually a disciple of Jesus? And so, are you doing anything to see the name of Jesus made famous in your community? The fourth if is sonship. John 8, 42 says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God, and I have not come on my own. God sent me. See, now that's an amazing truth. It's hard for us to comprehend. Not only has Jesus Christ paid my sin, not only does his blood cleanse me from all of my own unrighteousness, not only does he send the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, not only is he working to prepare a place for me in heaven, but he made me an actual child of God. And the same for you. You and I have all the riches of the universe available to us as sons and daughters of God, yet we are spiritually starving to death while sitting at the banquet table filled with everything that we could ever want or desire, and yet we will not reach out and take it because of a lack of faith or because we love the things of this earth too much that we don't want what's on God's table. This morning, if you feel like you're all alone, or maybe you feel like you're starving to death spiritually, or just not growing in the things of God, I'd ask you a question. Are you his disciple? Are you living in the freedom that Jesus offers you? Are you actively serving in the kingdom of God? If you're, you answer yes to all of these questions, this is where you need to exercise your faith and be obedient to God's word. Jesus didn't give us all these truths because John needed to fill up space in his gospel. Jesus gave us these truths so that we can have life and have life more abundantly. All right, I only got two more. Hold on with me. The fifth if is responsibility. John 8, 46 can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Then in verse 47, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Friends, we've got to do better. Jesus deserves our absolute best. He gave us everything. He deserves to receive back what he has given to us. That is an accurate testimony of who he is so that the world, through the way we live our lives and treat other people, will know him. That's the responsibility you and I took on when we became Christians and we took the name of Christ upon ourselves. We also have responsibility to show what Christ looks like and who he actually is by how we live before the world that really doesn't know him. Okay, finally got to the sixth if, assurance. John 8, 51. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. You see, fear, doubt, and unbelief plague us, causing us to live far beneath what God intended for us to live. If we can take all six of these statements of Jesus and make them active 
regarding how we live and let God work out our salvation with fear and trembling, then we'll have the assurance that God loves us, that God wants to use us, and God is going to reward us. And someday we'll hear the words as we cross the finish line into heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Will you pray with me? Father, the time is short, I believe, in our own world, in our lives today, that you're calling for disciples. For the church to make the commitment to being a disciple. We have so many huge churches, even around us and in our city. And it's amazing at how many people attend church. And yet, they go in, hide in the multitude of people, and then leave and never make the commitment to be a disciple. So I ask you, Father, help us to be disciples. You've called us to be your people to reach out. That means even to people that are struggling and fearful of the coronavirus, fearful of, of where our, our nation is going, fearful of what's happening in the breakdown of their own families and in their own health, and Lord, on and on it goes. But you've called us to be people that can come alongside and share your love and be like uh, Pastor Paul Lee where we share our blanket whatever that is, to a fellow struggler going along. And you'll use that to draw people to yourself. In the process, help us to share our own faith about how we are getting strength from the Bible and trusting in you and your spirit to lead and guide and protect us. So come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place. We're your people. We're glad to be your people. In your name we pray. Amen.